Let's keep talking about what we're collecting. That doesn't even matter mm-hmm. if you can't figure out how to tell the story to the people that need to know the story to be able to use it. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show this week. I am currently recording this from St. Louis, Missouri. I am back home in the U.S. visiting my dad's family for the 4th of July. So if you hear some music, if you hear some people chatting up by the pool, that is what's going on there. I kind of just snuck away to record the intro to this episode. It's been an amazing visit here so far. I'm having a blast. I am in the house where my dad grew up, which is always fun. It feels like such a tradition to come here. It always feels like this house is full of so much history. My grandpa, who is 91 years old, still lives here by himself, which I think is absolutely amazing. And let me tell you, I think he has the best kept yard on the block and he does all the work by himself so props to him that might just be a secret to longevity all that yard work that he does every day i was chatting with my dad last night over a glass of wine and it's funny because i feel like i've been having so many deep conversations with people lately i guess that's just kind of the headspace that i'm in i'm sure that comes as no surprise to all of you after sarah's episode last week and how deep we got there but we were just talking about the importance of moving forward in your life and always kind of being growth-minded and ready to move on to the next thing. But then we were also debating the importance of going back and thinking about your past and your history and why certain things have happened, processing through any mental blockages that you feel in past areas of your life. And I guess my perspective on that was that it is a really important thing to do. I don't think that it's good to move forward through life with blinders on and trying to forget things that happened in your past. I believe that things that happened in our past are part of who we are and they exist in our subconscious. So processing through those things, understanding them, becoming at peace with some of them, I believe is a really important thing. This whole idea is really relevant to my dad's life because he was married for 18 years, had three kids, kind of played that role of a straight husband, a straight man, a straight father, and then when I was 18, he came out as gay. So my parents divorced and he actually moved to Michigan for a job around that time and kind of started a new life, figuring out who he really was as a gay man. It's been a pretty incredible journey to watch and be a part of, and he actually hit a big milestone this past December when he got married to his awesome husband. But this whole idea of understanding and processing through your past is something that I think is insanely hard for him because he lived such a different life of someone that wasn't truly himself for so long. During our talk last night, I chatted a little bit with him about the podcast and I think that at some point he's going to come on and share his story 
because I think it's one that we can all really learn a lot from and it's really fascinating how he's been able to move forward and grow and come into himself in the last couple of years. That was kind of my thought for the week that I wanted to share because that's sort of the headspace that I've been in today. But let's move on and introduce this episode. I've got a really cool episode for you guys this week. I'm speaking with Jim Liston, who is TFC's Director of Sports Science. For those of you that aren't familiar, sports science is the field of collecting data through sport and analyzing that data. So if you think about it, lots of us nowadays have Fitbits. I have the Whoop that I talked about um, back in my episode with Eric, episode three. We have all these trackers and we collect all of this data on ourselves. It's becoming a much more normalized thing. Sports science sort of takes that to the next level. So they collect tons of data on players, on athletes. There are various devices that they use to do that. And Jim tells us more specifics about that in this episode. But the idea is that you have to create meaning from those numbers. So once we have that data and once we've collected all those numbers, What do those things really mean? And how do they translate to optimal performance on the field for these athletes? So it's Jim's job to kind of parse through that data and make some sense of it so that these professional players can actually use what's being collected. They can learn something about themselves that they can use to help them make sure that they're performing at their peak when they step onto the field for a game. I feel really privileged that I got the chance to sit down with Jim for this hour. He was the very first SNC strength and conditioning full-time coach that was hired by Major League Soccer. That happened when he was living in LA back with the Galaxy. He was one of the pioneers in the league for strength and conditioning coaches and having that be a part of the team's full-time staff. We're talking about professional soccer players in this episode, but I think that there is so much for the everyday athlete to take away from this episode. One of the things that I found fascinating was if I'm thinking about my week, let's say that I'm leading up to a big lift on a certain day. Maybe I'm testing my deadlift, or maybe I have an event that I'm doing or a really important class that I'm going to. I think it's important to think about how we should prepare our body for big events like that. So Jim kind of takes us through what the training week looks like for players that are preparing for a game on Saturday. How do you train four days before, three days before, two days before? What kinds of things are you looking at? How much volume? How much intensity do you have? because it's an important balance between getting your body ready for that event and overdoing it. You also have to think about recovery. So I think there's a lot of stuff that we can take away from that discussion. We also talk about all of the off the field stuff or for all of us, the out of the gym stuff, sleep, nutrition, recovery, which you guys know that I'm so passionate about and think is so important. But Jim kind of gives us his perspective and take on that and how it affects a player's career. In this episode, Jim also tells us about how he created this new role that is the TFC Sports Science Director. This job didn't exist before he came to Toronto, but he, along with the head coach, Greg, and some of the other coaching staff, Dan, Robin, Nick, these are all guys that you'll hear him talk about in this episode. I think as a team, they all saw this need for data to be collected on players 
And then for somebody to analyze it, for somebody to communicate to all of the parties what should be done with that data. Like we heard from Eric back in his episode, there's kind of a team of guys that's responsible for keeping these players healthy and for keeping them ready to play at their best. They have therapists, they have doctors, they have the whole medical side, and then they also have their S&C coaches. So all of these people, they all need to kind of be on the same page about the players and what's going on with each player. So Greg, TSC's current head coach, and Jim were able to come up with this role that is the connector between all of those parties, which I think is pretty cool. Having that vision to understand the need and then creating the role and the success that Jim has had in the last couple of years with TFC, I think it's all pretty awesome and exciting to hear about how that's come about. Jim met these guys that now make up the TFC coaching staff back in LA, and then he came out with them to Toronto. It's interesting how you never really know how who you're going to meet is going to impact your career and impact your journey, but for Jim, these guys really changed the course of his life and his career. Jim is one of the most well-respected people on the TFC staff. He is known as an unbelievably happy and positive person. He just brings a really amazing energy and an awesome presence into the locker room and into the team every day. So it was an absolute joy to speak with him. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. It's a really cool look into a job that maybe some of us didn't know existed. I love your husband. (laughs) I love you too. So really, it's a favor it's for Eric. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's I'll kind of it. like I've known you guys. I've known him since 2011. So I figure it's always best if it's a, a family or friend. That's you know, fair. I That's reject totally everybody fair. else. I just say forget it. <laughs> Can you just tell us a little bit about your job mm-hmm. and what it is that you do here and sure. what all you're responsible for with TFC? Yeah, I think it might be helpful if I go back to 2014 when Greg was the assistant general manager and technical director. Uh, he asked me to come in and do all the performance side for the academy. And I said, well, I don't know if I'm going to move from L.A. So we worked a deal out. So I would come out here for a week. I'd spent a week in Toronto and seven, uh, three weeks back in L.A. So I mean, that was a great deal. You know, it was really enjoyable. Um, you know, having worked with kids and youth soccer players for so many years and other academy, so I jumped at it, right? Mm. And when Greg calls you, you just go, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do it. We just kind of figure it out. (laughs) Uh, And then at the end of August that year is when they had a coaching change. So I'm supposed to fly to Toronto on Monday night just to work with the academy. On Tuesday, I get a call at midnight, Sunday morning, so it's three in the morning here, Mm -hmm. and it's from Greg. And I had this sense, I'm like, I wonder what's gonna happen. And I see Greg Vanny's calling me at midnight, I'm like, oh boy. Hey, what? Hey, Jim. Uh, I just got the job. Da da. When you know, what's your plan when you come to Toronto? I said, Well, I plan on coming to the Red Eye Monday. Greg will be on Tuesday. He goes, I need you there Monday. That's my first practice. I was like, Okay. <laughs> See you then. Wow. <laughs> and that was it. Wow. So I came out to be his head S and C coach to the end of the season, and then just trying to figure out keeping me here what that would look like, and then so mm-hmm. we kind of created the director of sports science role, which tied in the performance side and the medical side. So to oversee, really to oversee the communication between each and how, do they, how they all interact and integrate. Mm-hmm. Because it's challenging, you got physical therapists, athletic therapists, strength and conditioning coaches, coaches, assistant coaches, presidents, general managers, <laughs> right? And they all need something, want something different and communicate it differently. So um, that was really what was attractive 
uh, other than MLSE is an amazing organization and the club wanted to be great. Like the vision was to compete for championships in North America, be innovative, develop players. I'm like, well, <laughs> that sounds a perfect say club. No to that. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to say no, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the dream job that you didn't know you were dreaming about. Mm-hmm. So were you the mastermind of this role or was that Greg or was that you guys working I together? I think collaborative and with yeah. Tim Bespachenko. I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, between the three of us, Mm-hmm. So we've been moving some pieces around and, you know, within the organization, adding some, kind of figuring out how this could work. Mm-hmm. And and then you just go for it, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. What do you think's been the biggest benefit of having this new role? Like, what do you see that it's, what problems do you see that it's solved? First is communication. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say it's just directly sports science and you're collecting all this information. And, and we've done this presentation now for a couple of years, the five C's. It's just not enough to collect the information, right? You need to communicate it, put it in context. You're taking numbers. You got to, well, what, what's in it for me? Why does it even matter? Right. Numbers are one thing to <laughs> yeah. have, but mm-hmm. until you understand them and know what to do with them, yeah. what's the point? Yeah. yeah. To each of the stakeholders, what kind of information made sense to them? And that, then it becomes workable. And then certainly from kind of a return to play, whether it's an injury side or the performance side uh, with coaches, it's how do you collaborate and work together. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that that, for me, has probably been the, the biggest thing. And that continues to be a challenge always, right? Because communications break down, right? It's, it's something you have to focus on all the time. Yeah, totally. So what are those five C's? Collect the information, mm-hmm. put it in context, mm-hmm. communicate to the stakeholders, figure out how you can then collaborate with them to use their information and our information on the field. And then the fifth one is to customize it. This is a team sport. How do you customize training volume and intensity for individual players in a team game? And that will always be a, that will always be a challenge. Yeah. Uh, so then if you can take those and then how they relate to the game. What we learned that in communicating with the coaches and putting it in context that we communicate it as percentage of match play. Here's what the game looks like in distance covered, high speed running, accelerations and decelerations. So how should we prepare day before a game mm-hmm. or two days before a game or three days before a game, four days before a game, which are hard, which are easy, which are in the middle. Uh, and that takes some time. And that does take a collaborative effort between, you know, my staff and the coaching staff too. Yeah, definitely. So we basically, Tom Williams, who's our head of SNC, created a drill breakdown sheet. So we know the cost of our drills and we know the cost of the coaches' drills. So all you do in a spreadsheet is I'm going to do this today. It costs 10 player low points a minute, 12 minutes, training low 120. So you can predict it before you even get to the field what the day looks like. So you do it by load player points. Yeah. What is, what yeah. is that unit of so player? Yeah, player load <laughs> is a combination. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. Player load is work, mm-hmm. how much work they did. And then you put it in the volume bucket, which is the amount, and the intensity bucket, which is how difficult it was. Mm. So you need to know both of those things. And so player load is a combination of the volume or the amount and then the intensity. So, for example, if I ran a 10K in an hour, okay, I ran 10K. If I ran a 10K in 50 minutes, I still ran a 10K, but the intensity was much higher. Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to distinguish that Mm -hmm. because that's a lot different run doing an hour, a 10K in an hour versus 50 minutes. And it's the same after training. So it's separating them into those buckets and then figuring out how much volume and intensity you need each day leading up to each match. You know, besides the communication piece, that would be the biggest challenge is when you have one game a week, it's pretty easy. But when we have multiple games in a week, Saturday, like Wednesday, week Saturday, three. Yeah, way or we different. have five games in 15 days, 
uh, it's challenging. With and travel. Then with mean, travel and altitude and heat yeah. and humidity, then you realize that the model that you have, that one game a week, it's actually pretty easy to create on some level that they, <laughs> that we still search for the and three games in a week. To be fair, isn't terrible, uh, but when you have five games in fifteen days with travel and altitude, that there's just so many variables, mm-hmm. and then you've got to decide what variables matter, what variables you can impact. You can't change that it's a five-hour flight and we had a two-hour layover, and that it's ninety degrees and it's at six thousand feet. Those are the not controllables. So of those things that we can't control. When you travel at altitude, you know they need to be hydrated. Do you have water on the plane? Do you have water when you arrive? Do you have some type of sports drink? Mm-hmm. Do you have availability for recovery pump? I mean, so recovery becomes really essential because we can't control those other things. Right. Makes total sense. Tell us about a week leading up to, let's say you have one game that mm-hmm. week, a week leading up to a Saturday game. What yeah. does that week look like? What's that model? So sat, let's say it's a Saturday night game. Mm-hmm. Guys arrive on Sunday morning at 11. We usually let them give them a little time to sleep in a little longer. And we split the group. Um, there's a group that didn't play that will train mm-hmm. and or played 30 minutes or less that will go out and train. But the starters would do a regen, which is 15 minutes of cardio, elevate their heart rate, get the blood flow going, 15 minutes of strength training. And then we'll do yoga session. And then it's hot and cold contrast or cold or recovery pumps or now we have a cryo chamber. So... They really? Can, yeah, that's yeah. new, yeah, huh? Cool. Yep. Wow. They were in there today. Dope. <laughs> yep. So I think it's you know that it, we give them the choice. So you go through that, and then then the Monday's off. So mm-hmm. the reason why we do that rather than having Sunday off and coming in on Monday is that it kind of evens the playing field. That the guys played Saturday night. We train the guys pretty hard on Sunday that didn't play. Mm-hmm. Everybody has Monday off. So when we come in Tuesday, for the most part. Um, it's like a reset. It's Blank a reset, slate. and everybody's ready to go. Right. You know, within reason, there's there can be come somebody come back from injury or age, where mm-hmm. depending on the time of year, we mm-hmm. may adjust that day. And it, when we day, that's game day minus four, so four days before. It's medium to high volume, medium intensity. Okay, would be Tuesday, Wednesday, which is game day minus three, high volume, high intensity. It's the hardest day. Right, we want guys to sprint within ninety percent of their max velocity on those Wednesdays. A lot of high speed running, heart rates high above eighty eight percent of max. We target all of those things. Then you start to dial it down on Thursday, game day minus four. We consider that a moderate two. game. Sorry, game day minus two. Thank you for correcting. <laughs> You're welcome. Game day minus two. We better talk about four. <laughs> um, game day minus two. You dial it down, and it's a moderate session. And then game day minus one is low volume but with periods of high intensity. So mm. there's definitely a desire to spend a couple of three or four minute games where the players are playing at game speed. Yeah. Engagement, okay. get prepared. Cool, makes sense, and then game day ready to go. Game day ready to go, and everybody has their kind of own routine, whether they mm. walk their dog, they go and get coffee, depends on, get a different routine at home. Yeah, I know the routine the road, well. right? I'd be interested to know what other players do, though, because obviously mm-hmm. I know Eric's like the back yeah. of my hands, right. but I wonder what, I'm yeah, sure there's a lot of Yeah, some people nap, some people don't like to nap. Right. Some people do yoga, like on the road, I probably get mm, 25% of the players that will do it mm. hour before lunch. Some guys want nothing to do with it. Right. It's all good with me, whatever. Yeah, whatever I works mean, for them, whatever right? Whatever works, yeah. yeah. And definitely. I think that's always a challenge for the younger players is to figure out what does work for you. Mm-hmm. Because some, some of them haven't really thought about what works from them. They're, they're here. They signed a contract. And I don't know what really works. Right. So then we <laughs> right. get to figure it they out. figure it out. Yeah, yeah. That's always a step at a time. And you help facilitate them yeah. figuring it yeah, out. Yeah. Just think through it, right? Mm-hmm. What did you do today? I, Mom, what do you mean? 
I mean, what did you eat? I don't know. I, well, uh, mm, you know, so <laughs> let's think about it. How did you feel in the game? I felt great. Well, let's repeat that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's always important to start po- that's positive. Felt great. When I did this, let's do that again. Yeah. You ask them these questions, mm-hmm. which obviously there's a lot of power in just asking and asking yeah. people to reflect. Yeah. Do you coach them through some of these things too? Like, is that within the scope of your job? Coach yeah. them on the nutrition piece mm-hmm. and the recovery piece? Yeah, and I think I do, I do both. But I have found, like when I was with the LA Galaxy, I did all the nutrition. We found a nutritionist that comes in here one day a week and that she has much more expertise than I do Mm. and does a really good job of finding out where that athlete is at this moment in time. Mm. And then she figures out what the next step is, which is a huge talent. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from the recovery side, I think we all, everybody downstairs, cello, Carm, show, Tom, myself, you have different relationships with different people and whoever has a relationship that can encourage them to really kind of figure out what works best in recovery is is the way we roll down there don't need anybody to be in charge of everything yeah Um, it's the person that you know kind of delivers the information i think the the way that that person enjoys receiving it So as you're thinking about loads um, over the course of the week, what mm-hmm. are you using to measure these things? Like, how do you know what intensity the players reached, what yeah. run speed they've reached, what their heart rate was over the course of the program? What are you using for that? Yeah, I mean, we're pretty fortunate because we have a budget to get a GPS system. So we use Catapult, which is a, a you have GPS accelerometer gyroscope, so we can get distance Again, player load is a combination of volume and distance, which is kind of catapult-specific mm. measure. We create the speed bands, high-speed running, sprinting. We get their max velocity. We get accelerations and decelerations of medium intensity and high intensity. It picks up a 1,000 things a second, So, but you, you've got to decide what matters. Right. So you have to go all the way back to, okay, we have this great, we have this GPS unit. We use catapult. And then how do we use it? So okay, it goes back to what does the game look like? We know it's... Multiple changes of high speed and direction, right? We all know that. We watch the game. So then you say, well, where do you, how do you find this in Catapult? Okay, these are the speeds we can get them. What is a speed band? What is a sprint? What is a stride? What is a jog? And then you have to separate those in the system um, so it all kind of makes sense. So it's not like the answers are there. You know, you got to kind of find them. And it all comes back to let's measure a game and then let's look what training looks like and let's just talk about it. We'd go, Hot, medium and high accelerations, decelerations, and then we have high speed running, which was above uh, 14 miles an hour. Which, and then about two years ago, like you know, there has to be a combination of the two, so we call it a FIB score, total high intensity bouts, where we com- combine the accelerations, decelerations, and the sprints above 14. But that's just kind of you try to get better each time, like because that makes sense. That is a measure because there was a practice where we had very little high speed running, but the excels and decels made it a very high intensity session. And we didn't really so predict it. But you're working on we something were. different in that session. Like totally. it's a different Change skill it. It's set. tighter. Totally. Yeah. So I said, all right, let's get something that combines the two of them um, to look at it. So, I, and it's hard because it's, a, I wouldn't say it's expensive because that's not fair, cost money, but there's a lot of value to it. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage anybody that has the opportunity to, to be able to measure work to get a system like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Are you you're a numbers guy? Love them. Yeah, yeah. Always have been? Yeah. Yeah, I, was, I started as an engineer. <laughs> Maybe I'm not that much of a numbers guy because I got out of it. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, I think they wow. tell a compelling story. I know that. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Oh, my gosh. I think it's fascinating yeah. to extrapolate things like mm-hmm. meaning out of numbers. Yeah. But it's a skill. Like, not everyone has those skills. So. Yeah, that was funny. I was 
so I started as an engineer, ended up as a hotel restaurant major, which might not have anything to do with numbers. However, <laughs> in part, I chose that as I, I worked at the Campus Center Hotel, and every three weeks on Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, I had to do the night audit from 11 at night till 7 in the morning. And oh my you God. Okay. Pick, it was, first of all, you're exhausted. Yeah. A, how do you B, look at numbers in yeah, the middle of the night? Seven o'clock rolls around, the manager shows up. I'm not even done. Oh my I'm like, God. Oh my gosh, I'm get fired. I'm not even done yet. And then you just, because you don't know what you're looking at, it's right. all numbers. You're trying to line the books up from the day. And, but then over time, you say, oh, I'm $142 off. You go, well, I remember there's a $2 cash, there's a $40 credit card, and then I remember there's a $100 bank check. And so you know where the three are, mm -hmm. and you find them, and you go, oh, I forgot to record those, and then you're done, then you pull out the, the pullout at four in the morning, and, yeah. and you take two <laughs> oh hours to sleep, <laughs> if you're lucky enough yeah. to finish it. But it, you know, it's just practice, and I think that's something about numbers that you start to see patterns. Honestly, I think that's really helpful in looking at the training data every day, just yeah. the experience of recognizing patterns and numbers. Mm -hmm. Do the players see any of those numbers? If they want to, yeah. Yeah, do you have many that want to? Uh, yeah, we actually have more and more that want to. There was a debate between Greg, Tim, and I about should they see them all the time? Should we post them all the time? And, and you're not sure, and I'm always a little hesitant to go in with the first team and try something that's totally different. I'm not sure of the outcome. Yeah. If you're going to practice, we practice with the USL team. All right, let's try it with the younger guys. Yeah, right? sure. But we realized that if I went 10,000 meters in a game and I went 10,000 meters in the next game, I may have really played well in one game and not felt like I played well in another game. So mm -hmm. it was, what do the numbers even mean? So rather than forcing it, it was if they if you want to see it, come in because I they're really interested in high speed running and how fast they ran. So my like, guy, right, <laughs> who's that's the cool. fastest? Yeah, who's the <laughs> fastest? How much high speed running? And there are certain players that are very they think about it and they go, man, I really ran a lot, and I was successful. And in this game, I found I didn't run as much. I wonder why. And maybe mm -hmm. and it could be the formation thing. It could be a lot of things. That's why it's hard to just put a number in. You know, I, I did 1,000 meters of high-speed running today. I was successful. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Maybe that was just the demands of the game. But there are players that they want to know their capacity. You know what? It was hot out, and I still was able to do this, mm -hmm. and I felt good. Uh, but, again, it's not something that you just – you're not post because it's too it's a big leap to say that I ran this much and therefore we won or lost or yeah you don't want to rely on the numbers too much right. as a as an indicator yeah. of performance because right. there's too yeah many it's too there's just too complicated again yeah. there's just way too many variables but it does help when we're trying to get on Wednesday and we play on Saturday that's the day to get max velocity get close mm -hmm. to game speed mm -hmm. because it's really tough to perform if you play on Saturday and then never sprint for a week right so there's a risk yeah. to training too much but there's a huge risk to training not training enough bubble wrapping doesn't work mm -hmm. you know so you need to work so we have like i said we have different days where we try to focus on check off different boxes at least from the physical side yeah so then you've got five games in 15 days mm -hmm. what yeah. the hell are you doing there <laughs> just letting the you're games going be oh your man sprinting? who did the scheduling okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing you can do right you just so we yeah. have to you know i think we learned a lot last year um, we hired Kitman Labs, a company out of San Francisco, just to dig deeper into our variables. We don't have a full-time data scientist here, and they're experts, so, and it was really helpful. So, kind of, if this happens, if this, then that, if, if this, then that, and then we knew that if, if we played on turf, trained on turf, had a trip over five hours, high humidity and altitude, and the player's acute uh, to chronic ratio was above 1.2, and they were over 30, that they were 12 times at risk. I mean, right, all the that way. that they're going to gonna get injured. Th yeah, yeah. That, it's, <laughs> that, the, that the risk is really increased. Mm -hmm. So um, that was helpful. 
mm-hmm. and even prior to us going to Champions League, because we'd get always go Saturday game, Sunday region, Monday off. We ran into this in 2016 where we had like 24 days in a row where we only had one day off. And sometimes it was just a very easy practice, but the guys were still here. And he's like, why don't we just have Sunday off? I'm like, well, isn't that a good idea? <laughs> so we would go Saturday match, Sunday off, Monday regen for the starters, and then Tuesday, you got a good training session because the guys had recovered. Wednesday, Thursday regen, then Friday we call it regen two because the coaches want two days of training before a game. Uh, but we can accumulate, so now if you talk about 15 days and you have five games, we look at how many minutes do they play in four days, seven days, 10 days, 12 days, 15 days. Mm-hmm. And we'll look at the minutes, we'll look at their player load, look at their speed, distance, et cetera. But we know for sure if you play five games in 15 days that the risk is much greater. So that affects lineups. Totally. Like right. Greg so, will take that into consideration so you have, and hopefully Yeah, you have players. to rotate. You have yeah. to. Yeah. If the squad, like we did it in, this year we did it in Atlanta. There were seven guys that didn't play in Atlanta, anticipating that we were flying and then we had Traveling oh to RSL, yeah. playing at altitude yeah. in the, for the fifth game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where recovery, regeneration, all of those are essential because everything matters, right? These are all marginal gains and they all matter. Hydration, nutrition, sleep, recovery boots, wearing your skins, all of those things matter. Mm-hmm. What sets some players apart as far as their habits off the field? Like, can you, do you see the difference between guys yeah. that have like good habits off the field versus those that don't? Yeah. Yeah, they have longer careers. For sure, I've been around for a long time, so I've seen it. <laughs> can you predict? Um, like, I think do, you, you have a, do you know, do you have an intuition? You know, I never about thought like, about it, but if I were to look at players that had really long careers, either when they first got into the league or as a pro, um, somewhere along the line they took care of the off the field stuff to be fair on the field i need to work uh come into the gym i do prep work i warm up i work hard mm-hmm. i recover i start like i have my routine because the first lecture we give to the academy kids is this here's your day you're either training two hours two and a half hours or you're recovering from training that's it it's pretty simple you're either here or you're not you're working or you're recovering mm-hmm. from the work and it's to try to get that in their head that if I make this decision to eat this, not that fast food's a bad thing, but I eat fast food every day, that's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. If I am playing video games till two in the morning, I have to get up at seven o'clock to go to school, maybe that's not a good idea because it's not helping me recover for the pro that I wanna be. So the kids that get that sooner feel better, mm-hmm. play better, do better, are on the field more often. And there's a light bulb I've seen over time, right? Where, and it appears like it happened over and over overnight, right? But it probably didn't. It's, yeah. over, it's like, any, like I'm a parent, <laughs> like I've probably, told my kids yeah. a thousand times, they hear from somebody else and they start doing them. That's what I've been saying. I don't say yeah. that because if I tell them, you know, kind of the same, but, but when the probably... light bulb goes on and you realize that this is a short career relatively, and so this short. is the best job, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you are playing the game that you love and getting paid for it and competing but when they own it, then they're more likely to keep to carry on. And I would say, yeah, the answer is yes. For the talented players that take care of themselves, last longer. Okay, I think Robin won Defender of the Year when he was 37 years old. Yeah, That's he incredible. just owned it, right? Mm-hmm. He worked hard. That whole group of guys, the Galaxy guys in the late 90s, they worked hard and, and took care of the nutrition. And I think that was a significant difference because it was really early in the league. And there might have been teams that weren't afraid to work. These guys were not afraid to work, for sure. But to take care of the off-the-field stuff. And it just, it was huge. And I think 
certainly around the world, more people take care of themselves than they used to 20 years ago, right? Um, the information's better, responsibility's better. Yeah. It's a long way to just say, yeah, I think you can kind of figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> can you talk to me about how fitness has played a role in your life personally? You know, it's funny, I, I try to think back when it all started, mm. and I can't even tell you because I was always, you know, we were always outside. I mean, that's what you did as a kid. You went outside in the winter. I grew up in Massachusetts. You're out skating, sledding, shoveling snow, trying to make money, right? <laughs> or in the summertime, you're playing football. That was kind of the popular sport, right? We're down playing basketball, tennis. It didn't matter. So we're always badminton in my buddy's lower yard. Like, we were always playing. Yeah. I think that was it. And then I remember in my freshman year in high school, the summer before Nautilus, they put a Nautilus gym, and I joined when I before I went to high school. Oh, and so wow. we're work, we're, I was working out at 14 in a gym wow. for Nautilus. Yeah. What was your uh, What was your motivation at 14 to get in the just gym? Just get stronger. I don't yeah, even know. Just trying I don't to, know. I'm like, hey, there's this gym that I'm like, strong. all right, cool. I go to the YMCA with my dad on Friday nights. There are guys lifting weights, free weights. We always made us go in the machine area. I'm like, I want to be over there. Yeah. Like, people boxing, <laughs> like, I want to go over there. Did a little bit of that. And I think just being around it, like my dad would go there and swim, run, play basketball, punch the heavy bag when we could, couldn't touch the free weights, that that was just kind of a motivation. And then in high school, there was a little universal gym and that was part of gym class. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's back when really? gym classes were awesome. That's cooler yeah, you'd than go my in, gym class. Yeah, you'd go in there and, <laughs> and do a circuit, right? You'd go around and do leg press, leg extension, these wow. two little, little forearm things. There's a dipping bar that I dug. Yeah, and then we would do gymnastics was uh, also a class. So you do the ropes. That was back in the day, right? You did wow. that. Middle school, they had gymnastics. And so you're always doing some physical things. But then I go to school as an engineer. like, And I played four sports in high school. Like I'm like, I love sports, right? Played all the time. And there's a sport management major at UMass. I, I don't know where my parents were. Hey, Jimmy, where you did love engineering sports? come from? I, I don't know. I think I like math and science. Yeah. And, and I think my grandparents, too, they're like, engineering. That's, I'm like... Okay, you guys think it's great? I'll do that because my grandparents like engineering, doctor, lawyer, or dentist, right? That that was it. it, That was those were the jobs. And if you're going to get into UMass Engineering School, then great. You're going. And I get in. I'm like, oh my, what a disaster. Mm -hmm. But I think that sport management started in 1983, and I graduated high school in 1982. And I thought it would have been good to have a conversation with my parents because I probably could have cut a lot of life, but you never know. When I talk to my kids, it's like, what do you love? What are you passionate about? Mm-hmm. What do you think about all the time? Mm-hmm. Because maybe if I had that conversation, who knows? Yeah. But yeah, but then the path is I found out I was in hotel restaurant management. I'm like, okay, that's the wrong, <laughs> nothing wrong with it. But for me, it just didn't, it wasn't really where I wanted to be. I knew I had to be around sports and exercise. <laughs> I called my parents. I moved out when I was 18. I'm 25 now. I'm like, you know that room I used to stay in? <laughs> and I back. moved home. Yeah. Really? Yeah, because I knew that. I had to get into the health and fitness field, health science, ex-phys, something. That's what I read in my free time. And it's yeah. funny, even at undergrad, those were my elective classes mm-hmm. were exercise physiology, nutrition, sports psychology, right? Like I, and I still you didn't dawn it. on me, yeah. right? Deep down, you Deep knew down. it. Deep down, yeah. So yeah. then I went to grad school. That's when I got my master's in health science and moved out to L.A. And I kind of always in my heart knew I was like, I wanted to be in Southern California somewhere. Weather, people, yeah, fitness. I feel you there. Just right. <laughs> it's the best place in the world. <laughs> it's just so great. Yeah. yeah. So that's how cool. I ended up in it. And I cool. think I've always been in it. And where did cats come into the picture? 
Um, so and can you tell us what it is? Yeah, CATS Competitive Athlete Training Zone, that's where it started. In 1992, I moved to LA, and then in 1995, I met Kevin Wentz, who was a physical therapist in Pasadena, and he was really into function, kind of before function was popular, right? Gary Gray was pretty early on then, too. And he was into training. And so we had met through a doctor friend. I'm like, man, this guy's, we thinking alike. So we said, what if we train some athletes? And he had a little PT clinic. And it was a bunch of offices and maybe a 2,000 square foot space. And so I started working out of there. And then we said, let's see if we can come up with CATS. It was C-A-T-S, it was CATS Competitive Athlete Training Centers with an S. It was so dorky. And then somebody <laughs> in the Matt Roboto, my brother goes, it's a Z, it's zone. I'm like, that's what it is. Way cooler. And so we just got a sledgehammer and we knocked down some walls and expanded the space. Whoa. Got rid of this x-ray room. And then we grew again. And then we knocked down the other walls. So <laughs> we went from, there was a front desk and it was all wide open space with a locker room. And at that point we got it to about 7,000 square feet. And then we were fortunate enough to connect with Huntington Hospital and get into a 14,000 square foot facility in Pasadena. And that's where Which is cool. it is still. Is that that's where the, it is. Yeah. yeah, that was that's the flagship. Yeah, it was kind of a, it was kind of a dream, I think, to work with athletes. Again, it goes back to I'm not really sure when it started because it always feels like it was there. I just wasn't aware of it. And you no, know, and then I had the good fortune that the league started in '96 and '97. Met Greg, Dan, Robin, and these guys were amazing. And we trained in the off season out by the Rose Bowl and at the Cats facility, the original one. And but you were training them at that point. I was training them. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I was training with them. And I think that's that was really helpful because cool. it helped with credibility. Because mm. I was like working out to I said, let's do it. And Robin was really logical because, you know, Dan's like, come on, this guy. And Robin's totally skeptical, right? <laughs> but it looked and felt like soccer. And it was hard, but, you know, it wasn't stupid hard. You know what I mean? Mm. So then in 98, the Galaxy brought me in as the first full-time SNC coach in the league oh. while we had cats rolling. So, yeah, I was full in, like youth training at night and, you know, the Galaxy in the mornings. Did that you was, have an I was in heaven. Yeah. It was, was fantastic. That's awesome. And you never looked back, obviously. No. That mm -hmm. was it. No. Yeah. I, I look back when I left in 1992, drove cross-country. I'm like, I'm never going back. Mm -hmm. This couple I had met that went to Springfield College. I had a company called um, Richard Mia Finnegan Training Results Unlimited Fitness, True Fitness. And they had women's fitness competitors corporate fitness did some personal training i'm like they i worked with them for a month for field work they said you want to come back I go, oh yeah i'm coming back mm -hmm. <laughs> i'll take all my stuff in this u-haul and i'm out <laughs> yeah and yeah i never looked back to home and then you know never looked back from being involved in this you know and there are ups and downs but of course you know i think yeah. one of the questions you want to ask is why i said it's the best job in the world right to be around people that are excellent at what they do and want to be better to be involved in a club that is committed to winning i don't know it's hard to it's hard to beat really there's an energy about that that's yeah. exciting yeah a lot of really smart motivated intelligent like people that are willing to like push the boundaries a little bit around here i've yeah. always had that sense yeah which is exciting yeah it's exciting a team yeah. Like I mean, that. yeah and you walk in and and everybody wants to get better mm -hmm. and are willing to make mistakes which can be paralyzing to yeah. some. Put yourself out there. I mean, that's what the pros do, right? They put themselves out there in front of fans all the time. They're getting paid to do this, that kind of pressure. So I feel like we got to put some pressure <laughs> on ourselves too, right? Try to get better all the time as well. Mm -hmm. Try to keep up. Why'd you end up with soccer? Just because you, uh, you met those guys out in LA? That's part of it. Yeah. I mean, I played soccer growing up. 
I was already working in soccer, youth soccer. I was comfortable there. It's mm -hmm. field sport. I worked with some youth soccer teams there, so I was kind of in it before we started working with those guys. Okay. And maybe it's because I'm pretty comfortable there with the, the demands of the sport. Even back then, we were just using heart rate monitors. I love the game. Mm -hmm. That could be a two. Like, I think it's just so much better than watching it, participating in it, than anything else out there. Mm -hmm. That could be a part of it, too. It's funny. I don't know if anything would be as satisfying, to be fair. Wow, I don't. Really? I don't know. But I will tell you this, that I'm an outside person, that we're able to go outside every... Well, it's not always great here. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's a plus uh, side in Toronto. So for most in of LA, that, when we're in side. LA, you'd be outside every day. <laughs> but the days we're outside, but yeah. you just, it's an out, it, you're outside and it's a, that's a nice part of it. What's the most challenging part about your job? Communication. Same as the, the reason that, you know, kind of brought in here is to try to bring the communication together um, because I think it's always something that you always have to work on. Mm -hmm. Are you and good at it? I think so. I try to be. I can always get better though. It can be challenging. Staff hasn't really changed much here, but players change, team changes, and the yeah, dynamics change. Yeah, that's tough. Dynamics right? are always changing. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. So even the demands of communication are going to change all the time. All the time. So be yeah. very flexible with that. The communication, because this is a results-based business at the highest level, yeah. and that can, that changes pressure and anxiety levels, and and therefore communication changes. Mm -hmm. And that's why if anybody you know, there's a book called Difficult Conversations. If you want to get in the field, it's, and that's the thing. Like, we always talk about, when I talk about the five seasons, let's keep talking about what we're collecting. That doesn't even matter mm -hmm. if you can't figure out how to tell the story to the people that want, need to know the story, to be able to use it. Totally. Oh, I collect, you know, here's this report. Well, who cares, right? Totally. Okay, what does that mean? How do, why yeah. should I care? I've been doing this for 20, listen, man, I've been doing this for 20 years, and I have this job without you. So everybody that is in our field has to go and go, these players got here without me. This coaching staff got here without me. How do I fit in? How do I help them see what they do from the numbers side? How do I help build the culture that they want to build? How do I, and I, we can do that by creating an environment where everybody feels like we care, which is important. And that every person's an individual, accepted, inclusive community, build that, create that. We can do that too. And I find that's a lot easier than just the communication because there sometimes has to be hard conversations. Like what? What are the hard conversations that when, you've had to have? I think hard conversations are when a player feels like he's ready to come back from injury and their objective measures the boxes he hasn't ticked, but he feels good. That's a hard conversation. Oh my gosh. For I us. You can imagine, right? But you hold them back. You don't let them go. Yeah. I mean, more often than not, it's mm -hmm. uh, if there are patterns to the amount of work done for a player to get back into playing 90 minutes and they haven't done the work then it can be a problem those are hard conversations I think maybe not as difficult is getting players that aren't used to lifting or working in the gym is to get them to start to we understand how, what they, their program is coming from wherever they come from but how can we then add to it it just takes time mm. it takes like, time to get them to buy in you mean to I think so to, to buy in or maybe to understand Mm. Uh, the importance of it but it, it can't come from us it can't be again it goes back to the understanding they got here they're getting paid to do this game without anybody in this room so let's find out what got them there and let's figure out now how our belief system we can introduce it to them to help them in, in some way that maybe we feel like there's a gap there's a lot of humility in that 
I think so. Well, I imagine it's super important in your position. It it is because you don't because you're excited, right? And especially if you come in and you've only been at this for a few years, you're like, man, I've spent all this time on it. I know all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, great. Well, we need relationships first. Some of our younger staff wants to help out, and I said, well, game day minus three, come in the gym, and just check out what's going on. But do not correct one of our players (laughs) the first second you get in there. They're like, who is this person? Right. Right. It's, you, we called it, we get relationships. If you feel like there's danger, find one of us. But our players are pretty adept in the gym. Create relationship, understanding, get comfortable. Eventually, then you can start, put away the weights, put away the cones, be around. Then maybe they ask you a question. So it's about relationships first. Again, it's not the stuff. It's not what we collect. And, and that's what we spend. I got my master's. That's what we talked about all the time, is the stuff. If you don't have the environment, the stuff doesn't matter. Same thing with cats. I said we have to create an environment for people to feel included and they can get better. Mm -hmm. That's our role, right? We're support staff. Yeah. So you're known around here, I've heard, as a very positive guy. Oh, yeah. No matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How do you think you're able to stay positive all the time? I don't know. I just think it's a mindset. I think, you know, I get up and I'm grateful for where I am and who I have in my life and the role I have here and... I don't know why not, right? Come on, I'm in Toronto. I'm a, I work with an amazing group of people. I have friends here that I work with. We interact with a bunch of other people that are very passionate about what we do. And there are ups and downs. I think the hard part is, right, there are downs, right? It's result, like I said, it's, as we all know, it's results-based business, but when it's down, it still hasn't changed me. I can look at myself and say, man, I need to do this better, right? But we all can do that, like you said, be humble about it. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to be positive, right? Like we have a belief that we're moving in the right direction. Life is good. I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. Family's healthy, right? Good friends. <laughs> I mean, I have a hard time going, it's pretty awesome, except for the yeah. weather, right? Like, even <laughs> yeah. But even then, yeah. I just get up, I'll go to the common. It's freezing out, but it's a great coffee shop. They got a great Americano. <laughs> I eat half of a blueberry brand muffin and game on. I need some more gym list and positivity in my life in February in Toronto. Like that's what that's I need the that saddest influence. month because that right. is hard. That is really hard. So, Especially well, when you guys are gone in so, LA. Right. So like, that's yeah. Days. So uh, knowing that maybe I wouldn't be a positive person if I were here in February. That's why we go to uh, California. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for three and a half weeks. Smart. Yeah. We Smart. try to get out of here because it is kind of gray and cold. But yeah, I think uh, I think it's gratitude. You know, every day and that's, that's where that. it starts. Mm-hmm. Last question. Yep. I ask everyone this question that oh, comes no. on the podcast. It's not hard. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning? You sort of answered this already. I did. I think what gets me excited out of bed is I wake up in, in the place I am, and I'm, and I'm grateful for that. But it also excites me the challenge. When I think of work life in particular, there's always a desire to deliver and to be better. I think that's probably a combination is gratitude and challenge. So two things. Can I answer two things? Of course you can. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> All right, those are my two. That's Never great. really thought about it, but there it is. There you go. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Anything else you want to add? No, I just think this was, uh, I'm grateful for you for inviting <laughs> me on and that this is my first podcast. So you nailed it. You. Yeah. No, and fun. I appreciate it. No, I wish you the best. I wish you luck with this. Thank I you. I think you're terrific. 
Thanks so much for listening to the podcast this week, guys. I hope you loved hearing from Jim. As always, be on the lookout for the next episode of How Do You Feel next week. I release an episode every Monday morning. Please rate, subscribe, and review if you enjoy what you're hearing. I'm also always open to feedback about what subjects or what guests you want to hear on the podcast, so please send those my way. Also, please help me spread the word on this podcast. If you have anybody in your life that you think needs to hear the messages that we're sharing on this show, I would be very grateful if you could share this podcast with them. I hope that everyone has a fabulous week and make sure that you get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.